Back to business. Chris Black, them jeans. What the fuck is up, Jason? Uh, I'm just seconds, minutes off of off of a cardio. I made sure that because we had a busy day today of podcasting, I have to have a pizza party later on that you'll be attending. So I really need to wake up and get my exercise in or else I'd be a full stress case today. I know. I'm glad to hear that you're taking care of your mental health um, yeah, man. You know, kind of on, on your own. It's really important for people to focus on that. Yeah. I don't need a hunter. No. I, yeah. No, I, I know. Only because I can't afford him right now. But... <laughs> It's it's not really about what I want. It's about what I can get. You know what I mean? For the money that I have, uh, <laughs> it's different. Well, I mean, it's it's interesting that we're podcasting right now because some news just broke that HBO has chosen to, um, against all odds, renew the worst television show I've ever seen. Okay, which one is that? There's there's a lot of shows on HBO. Yeah, no, you're right, but it's one that you like. Maybe you could guess. Okay, so it's like a new show. It's a it's a new show, but it's based on an old classic. Oh, thank God it is and just like that. Is it it's mm-hmm. it's really happening? Yeah, no, it is. John Oliver unfortunately didn't get canceled, but uh, <laughs> Tre- Trevor cursed Trevor Noah's on a different network. So yeah, congratulations, Jason. Uh, your terrible program that bastardizes the legendary run of Sex and the City is back. Uh-huh, but uh-huh. I will say the one positive thing is that I feel like it could give us a chance to maybe get Che Diaz on this podcast. I think Che is probably still on a media blackout per her management, which is wise. I don't want, but the, I don't want to meet Che. I don't want to see. Well, I was what's hoping behind the curtain with Che. Unfortunately, the Che discourse got so annoying that I was hoping she would die oh okay not not literally not literally end her life like one of the theranos scientists no it became it became too stupid it became too much every meme was bad every gay guy thought he was a stand-up comedian with a che diaz meme so so it just kind of it imploded in a good way for her no 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 it wasn't it wasn't her even getting roasted it was like the she was in the she was in the zeitgeist and lexicon shining so brightly that it it burned out quickly yes and it wasn't her no no fault of her own you can't control that kind of stuff unfortunately i think Che's the real puppet master here because she didn't she just laid back in the cut silently you know plotting these 5d chess moves Mm. and now what now you know why because season two and just like that Guess what? Uh, guess what contract we're going to take a, another peek at? You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. Che, oh, Che better gotten a salary bump. You know what I mean? But between Che and Miranda's son, that those are the two that deserve the pay bumps the most. Che, Che is she's she's fought for, and I think she's secured. She's getting thirty five hundred an episode now. So they are getting thirty five hundred episode, Jason. Maybe <laughs> maybe you're right. I'm not totally sure, but we can get HBO. We can probably talk to somebody at HBO. Crack the kind of crack the books. Let us know, <laughs> kind of let us know what Che's deals looking like. I'll talk to I'll talk to some agents that I know um, from Starbucks in uh, Beverly. Hills. You should talk to your you should talk to your dad and get a hold of the the accountant community because if we're cracking books, let's you know let's skip the middleman and go right to the juicy part of that strawberry. Great idea. My dad's really connected in the Hollywood Jewish uh, accountant scene. Well, actually, I think I was having either a dream or some kind of stoner thought about what it would be like to have a TV show, you know, like a Mad Men style show. That's about advertisers, uh, marketing people. What if there's a show just like that, but it was about accountants only, and it's like the network of accountants, uh, especially of the Hollywood types, and they those are the real people moving moving the world along. I like where your the, heads. You know, at. I like where your heads. I'll at. trade you the 2011 audit of this person for this <laughs> no i think i need would, to figure out how much this person's making on that and the accounts are the ones that really get it done at the end of the day we need a business manager reality show is what we need because then then you get the then you get the calls like kodak black calling his business manager because he's trying to buy three horses in tampa you know and the, <laughs> and the business manager's got to be like kodak bro no you donated a million to trump you can't spend half a million on horses you can't i think that's because accountants get bogged down in the numbers or business managers get to see things you know they get to tell mm-hmm. dua lipa no right 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 and that that is more interesting well i think you could be projecting chris because you are kind of a business manager in training and you wanted you want to get that 4 a.m call Tampa time, and you're like half a million for three horses in Tampa. I can get that done for eighteen grand. <laughs> I can get that done. Kodak, go Kodak. back to bed, and we'll talk about this tomorrow. Kodak, they don't accept Discover cards at the at the horse store. All right, how every <laughs> every every business manager skims a little something off the top. You know what I mean, right? Right, Chris. 
Well, I mean, look, bro, it's a it's a job that it, it, we it's can a talk to our guest job. about this. You might have some, yeah, might have some things to chat about. <laughs> Let me yeah, put that on my does. notes. Business manager <laughs> scheming money from you. Okay, got it. The fucked up thing is. If I'm a if I'm a business manager, if I if I got somebody that's making that much bread, then I'm making that much bread. But I think you see too much and you know that Elton John's water budget, you know, it is seven <laughs> is seven fifty, and you're like, this motherfucker's spending seven fifty on Mountain Valley and I'm only getting, mm-hmm. you know, three percent. We gotta do I, I want more when the reality is you're getting plenty. I think I think when when you have like if you're the business manager of Kodak Black, for instance, you know, he's so off in another world and Kodak is depending and trusting his business man- manager so much. I'm assuming, I'm only assuming because he's, mm-hmm. you know, not he hasn't been on planet Earth in a few years now. It must be tough to resist the urge to, you know, do a little moving some things around. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm an honest man and I'm afraid that Kodak Black would kill me with his friends, but... It would be tough to resist a little, you know, I'm not saying, you know, I stole two million from him, but... You know, a light little twenty. You know, I'll get a if he's if he needs to get a new computer, I'll, I'm going to get a new computer too. Yeah, one for you, one for him. I mean, I think there's also kind of the kind of thing where you could maybe, you know, it's it's like oh, this lunch, you know, yeah, it was yeah, yeah. <laughs> Beverly Hills Hotel is a fifteen hundred dollar lunch for me and a couple of buddies, but we talked about Kodak. You pull out the black card. I mean, the problem is that if you're a, a true celebrity, you shouldn't pay attention to anything except whatever your craft is and making sure you look good. Mm-hmm. You know, so you got to get people around you to, that you truly trust yeah and our guest today has been working on his craft of electronic dance music for <laughs> a long time the beginning of time so from a basement in gainesville to the edm <laughs> stages of europe to the beaches of mykonos mm-hmm. to the how many also how does this guy why does this guy have so many fucking cdjs when he plays, can you explain that to me? <laughs> well, I'll put that on my notes. I don't because I don't get it. What? How many CDJs can a guy use? Okay, well, with the CDJs, usually at the most, somebody will use is four CDJs, two on each side, which is very rare. If someone's actually using all four and needs all four, I would say m- most people. You know, ninety-five percent of the time, maybe ninety-seven percent of the time, you just need two. This guy's got six. I swear to God, I saw six. Well, that's the problem is once you have these festivals and these big electronic dance music parties where there's like twenty DJs playing, and every DJ is a DJ who requests four CDJs, then suddenly the mezcal starts flowing, the ketamine starts flowing. Mm-hmm. You know, some some people that are wearing Burning Man goggles and no shirt are uh, are all there and then next thing you know this guy wants to hop on and this chick wants to hop on and this person wants oh to- oh so you're, you're switching between so it's different people doing different sets yeah it could because it, it could be it's like something beyond a, a b2b set it's it's just kind of like a party like hey we're all here mm-hmm. and we're all just gonna you know you play for a few i'll play for a few i'll be over here working my thing you work your thing and then so is it is it kind of is it like does that work like when the you know when you're like doing an extended jam as a band and then you all mm-hmm. kind of look at the drummer and you just know when it's over <laughs> and it's time to kind of you know walk away or, or is this no, the kind of thing it's where quite the opposite with where, where, where diplo looks over at kaigo and says all right bro it's time for us to kind of <laughs> head backstage there's some things waiting for us back there <laughs> kind of thing or, or i think i think it's more of you have to literally like you have to physically stop somebody from playing or they'll just keep <laughs> you have playing. To tackle. Like there's so, no like when you when you're watching the band in the pocket and you everyone looks over to the drummer, you take a little fill for a minute and then I'm gonna play my little bass line and do 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 and then you know, that's like a band that respects each other and everyone is moving in sync. But on the on the DJ stage It's different. It's 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 every every person for themselves. Okay. Everyone's going for the everyone wants to drop the sickest song. I understand. And it's gonna be so fucking sick. So it gets it get, gets competitive because it's 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 solo artists versus solo artists versus a band kind of working together for a singular goal. Yeah, I mean, once yeah, everyone wants to kill it the hardest and you you don't care about the crowd cuz they're all stupid, but you care about your peers on stage. So you want to impress them so badly. Sure. So when you when you and Z Trip were going back to back and mm-hmm. he kind of stunned on you with an Aerosmith ZZ Top Run DMC <laughs> kind of hybrid, uh-huh. what do you what does them jeans come out with to kind of shut down the haters? Well, after I'm done kind of 
padding dry my khakis because I've wet myself. (laughs) My dockers are soiled. (laughs) All I have to do is play any cool song. I see. With no mixing or scratching, and then that's how you defeat somebody like that, you know? So you just put on levitating, and you're good to go. Not even the Elton John version. Just the regular kind of Yeah, if somebody's doing a Run DMC, you know, mashup with Bismarcky mixed up with Beastie Boys, you know? Yeah. All you have to do is play any song that's halfway <laughs> cool and you and you've won the battle. That's great cuz I can't wait to ask our guest about what songs are cool right now because I feel like he could say 10 things that I won't understand the words. Like I've never heard these words together before. All right, well let's let's give our special guest Wes aka DJ Diplo a Zoom call. We got DJ Diplo up before noon. Which I think, I feel like, I don't know what his schedule is like, but... When, when he's at the Malibu house, he's waking up earlier than we are, Chris. He's already He's already fucking hit the three-footers that are going to the left <laughs> and then to the right, so... Uh, is, that a bo- is that a bong or a wave? It's both. Okay, got it. Let's talk to him. You haven't worn a shirt in four months, bro. Come on. You want to go camera on or camera off, Wes? Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm off, bitch. Oh. Uh, it ain't nothing to take the shirt. Jason, I don't understand though. Do you just take the shirt off as soon as you come in the house post workout, or do you? Because you don't work out. I didn't. I, I I timed the workout in and the podcast. There wasn't enough time to shower, so the shirt was our was soaking wet, obviously. So I had to, had to throw it and then. And then just go. So I'm not just sitting here for an hour with a wet shirt. I, just, I, you know, I usually wake up and I did my run this morning. I just timed it right so I was able to take a shower. You know, mm-hmm. you should think okay. you should try good for that. You. Good yeah, for no, you. it's no problem for me. Fuck you. What's up? What's up, Wes? How are you? I'm good. How do I do the um? Make my thing go. Do not disturb. Here we go. I got that now. Who's Ethan Jacobs? Why is he got a shirt off too? <laughs> Ethan Jacobs is uh, works for the PR company that you work he, for. He works for you, actually. And he was he was just setting it all up. Ethan, don't fucking talk, Ethan. Shut the fuck up, Ethan. <laughs> Ethan lives in K-Town, and he's... Uh, I tried to get him out of his shirt, but it didn't work out. You eating some yogurt over there, Wes? Yeah, I'm eating yogurt. I'm on this carnivore diet, but I got this full-fat yogurt that I could eat. The yogurt, that, the yogurt that's for the, the supplements so they can be absorbed into your body? Or? I have no idea. I just ate so much steak like last two days. I just don't want any more steak for breakfast. Like crazy. Are you are you on like the Heidi Montag, like the, the raw, or you're eating cooked steak? You're on that Jordan Peterson. I'm cooking it. I'm not, I'm not really adher- adhering to it. I'm doing like 80%. Like I'm eating some bread yesterday and shit. I don't care. You, you have a little cheat day. <laughs> so how does, it fe- how does it feel when you just have water, steak, and salt? As your only thing that you put in your body. Honestly, it's probably the best I've ever felt like this diet for me. Because I guess it just depends on who, what kind of body you have. And I just like, I'm like mm-hmm. high energy. And just, You're, you have a sick one. Big body, bro. <laughs> and then <laughs> it just works. I mean, I, I looked at my doctor was like, oh, your blood type, you, should, you totally should do it. The first couple of weeks I did it, I just like had bad stomach problems because mm-hmm. you're not used to it. So I'm usually, I was like kind of leaning towards more vegan, really. Like fuck it, it was like making me. I didn't. I didn't feel good. So this is a doctor. This is a doctor assisted thing. You didn't just look this up on the internet. Nah, this is like some guy just gave it. No, so actually, you know who told me about it was Rick Rubin. He switched from being vegan for like seventeen years to meat overnight, and he's like, "It's the best thing I did." I was like, "Oh shit, let me try it." Really? Yeah, I met him in Costa Rica, and he was like telling me. And this the guy, one of the carnivore guys, like out there surfing all the time and like trying to preach. Sure. His thing. I think, I think he got kicked off the internet recently because he's just like too crazy <laughs> with the raw food thing that people are like trying to do and getting sick. But mm-hmm. I didn't really listen to him. I got his number, but Rick was like, "Yeah, I just do brisket and this." And they adhere to it hardcore. And, like their kids eating liver, like their five year olds like eating liver, and he like, loves it. Really? They're like a science experiment. That family. And I, I just thought, thought if he's going to do it, you're going to rip it. And it was, I'll try it. Because Rick's like the goat, so everything he does, Rick I got to try it. I got to try it. I, gotta, I, yeah, gotta I trust, try it. I trust him more than I trust like God sometimes, you know. So I got to do it. I can't wait till you get a nice beard going. Then we'll be waiting for we'll be waiting for that. Problem is, I can't grow any facial hair. That's all you got. On the side of my face. This is like the full beard right here. This is like the full the full thing. I thought you were just going for like a '90s goatee kind of look. Look, Brad Pitt, look, no, I just actually have no. I have like no facial hair. Maybe I'm like missing testosterone. Can I just, I'm gonna do this real quick. Someone asked for my uh, assistant to bring me some peanut butter. Hold on. 
So you just ring a little bell and then she brings you peanut butter. That's nice. Yeah, I got a peanut butter uh, bell. Did you did you surf this morning? I was I went out there. It was the tide was too low, so I was gonna go out. I, I was like, I didn't know this podcast was happening today. I'm about to go out surfing right now, bro. How, how do you how do you not know this? I don't understand who's where who's failing <laughs> in the chain for you to not know this is happening. If you want to know, her name is Katie Eggs. She's like my one of my like major <laughs> assistants, and like she literally told me when I was in Vegas, like, oh, do you want do you want it? She question marked. Do you want to do this podcast tomorrow? And I was like, uh, no, I'm be like DJing like an hour before. I can't do that. And I was like, I was, it came a day and I was like, oh, and then, you know, Jason told me, oh, it's on schedule for a while. Like, I was like, oh, well, then they just didn't really do it that serious. So now we're here, though. Whatever we got. We got here. No, you're right. You're right. No, it doesn't. The journey is not, you know, the journey is is not important. It's the destination. I understand that. But thanks for taking the time to make it happen, bro. Well, the waves aren't that good. It's like low tide. It's super sketchy out here in Malibu. So basically, you're only doing this because the waves aren't good. That's fine. I don't I can't. You know, thank you, Mother Nature, for that blessing. Waves are not happening today. You guys gotta love you. <laughs> so can you can you walk to the beach from your house? Like you're right on there? Yeah, you can walk there. Okay, that's sick. It's like a weird path. I got like a river behind my house. Like it's usually dry, but in January it runs. Okay. And I can and I can walk that little river, but there's so much poison ivy that like one of my friends Sarah went and did it a couple times. She got so bad poison ivy. It takes like three days to know you got it. And then you like it's crazy. You have like hives on your arms and Ooh. there's poison ivy. This part of Malibu is very wet. It's like a microclimate. Like it's always wet in the morning, and like shit grows here. There's like coyotes, and we got parrots out here. I don't know what's going on. So it's a very moist <laughs> tropical climate, which I guess works well for you. Well, I'm saying because like rest of Malibu risks fire all the time. Like you risk like burning yeah. your house down. Actually, it's kind of dangerous to live here. Did your did Definitely. your move to Malibu was this because of the surfing lifestyle, or was it just time to to go guru style? It's I'm like on like guru like novice level right now. So like I'm trying to like. Get, I thought moving to Malibu would be the first step and then beard would come and then eventually I would start to say things that made sense that were like kind of mindless and then eventually <laughs> sure. people profound come, profound and then people would just kind of come to Malibu and work with me even though it's like there's no postmates so when rappers come they're really pissed because they get here like <laughs> they get here like 10 p.m. they're like what do you mean uh, nothing's open I was like yeah this is Malibu shit's done at like 8 30 and then postmates is like you gotta get it from like Agora Hills like 30 minutes away um... It's like living in like a small town in like Wyoming or something. You got to like literally drive. If I go to hospital problem, I got to like go 40 minutes to get. No, these uh, people don't talk about these downsides about living in Malibu. Yeah. They think Malibu, it's this, I mean, obviously it's amazing, but it really is a removed small town. I committed to living in Malibu, but what really you do is you're so rich. That's right. You just have a house here and you come here like with June. It's a weekend house. I, no, none of my neighbors live yeah. here. Nobody. I'm the only person that actually <laughs> out the winter in Malibu. None of these people. The guy behind me in a huge rock band from the eighties, never, never there, mm-hmm. never been there in his life. So you can only afford to live in Malibu year round, is what you're saying. Things are going well. Things are going say, well. Our, but- our heart goes out to you. Our heart goes out I know, to you, brother. It's, it's tough out here, but I got no. It's like kind of lonely in the winter, but now I got people. You know, we got. I know the locals here now, and you know, Soho House is right around here. That's like a good spot to link people up. It's only fifteen minutes from my house, mm-hmm. and, and honestly, it is the surfing lifestyle. I kind of was like, why am I living in Hollywood? Yes, you've been in my house, my old house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of lame. You have a view of the Hollywood Hills and view of Hollywood. It's such a bachelor pad like thing to have this like mm-hmm. it's so corny to live up there. I felt like I'm not like what I, was, I don't need to live up here. My family It wasn't you. It wasn't you. My kids got nowhere to go. I got no driveway. I got no like people homeless people cr- crawling up the side of my house. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I just That's I just tough, I just man. blew my whole load and bought I spent all my money and moved to Malibu. I was like, fuck it. Eventually the beard will come, I thought. So mm-hmm. Keep eating that meat. We were doing the Twitch thing. I feel like when you bought this house at the, and I, I feel like they told it was a whole thing because it hasn't been that long. It was like a, it's like a year ago. Like two years ago, I bought it, but I moved in like, like a year and a half ago. What was the renovation situation? The way, well, first of all, there was a person that lived there before you, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Is that a person of note? Oh uh, yeah, the house was once owned by Kid Rock. Mm-hmm. I think he did a lot of cool stuff to the house. Like it's got. <laughs> Vile knees. There's a huge poster of Kid Rock. In when you my say house. cool <laughs> yeah. stuff, are you being are you being for real? Or are you using sarcasm here? Oh, huh. he he did some he did some re- renovations that you were into. The architect itself was before Kid Rock, and he built this whole house like in this like Jamaican Balinese vibe. So I got all these like ornate mm-hmm. wood carvings and some put like random doors and some Tulum shit. Yeah, it looks like it looks like, like Caribbean in the way. It's like this, this, the the yard is super nice. There's amazing trees here, and it just feels like you can like. You can literally like, grow your own food, I feel like, in the backyard if you want to like totally lock yourself into Malibu. So how did Kid Rock fuck this paradise up? He actually toned it down. Like it was like, a little too Balinese and he like took some of the walls out. From what I've seen and like when I like look at the house, the old house pictures you can find. Mm-hmm. 
Do you, do you think he lived there full time or is this a, a part time? I think he did. He he actually must have got it like a little bit in the bad markets place. He was got it yeah, like yeah. during that. So he got he kind of lost a little money on the house, and then the next people mm. picked up the slack. And then he was there. I think he was here. People people know that people I know that have bit that came over like, oh yeah, that's a. I don't know Kid Rock's first name is they, they Bob. First... We call him Bob. If we're, if yeah. we're friends, you call him. They Bob. Call, they're like, oh, that's Bob's house, and I was like, oh yeah, it's mine, my house, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> people know the house like people come over like i've been here before you know well there's only so much room in malibu i mean you know there's only so many houses in malibu okay i'm gonna name drop this like randy gerber i was at his house and he told me i was like told me i live i was like oh i've been to bob's house like that's like kind of thing <laughs> you hear in passing in malibu what's randy what's randy up to now is he is he still is is, is the tequila the thing is he just is he out on that or is is he still running it i'm not speaking on randy's like business i don't really know what he does but i mean he's totally happy has the coolest family the dopest house in Malibu. He still does. He has like an office. I think Casamigos has an office in Malibu above Cafe Habana because that's also. Him. Oh yeah, he owns. I knew he owned Cafe Habana. For I knew about that. I forgot. And, like that. he's like kind of like Malibu, like real, like real Malibu guy. Like he's like putting the. He actually putting the culture here. You know, like <laughs> Cafe Habana is the only place open like late night. You can go get a um. You can go do karaoke and shit on Tuesday. So basically, you have to have a chef to live in Malibu, is what you're telling me. You don't, because I live right next to um. I live next to Pavilions, mm-hmm. and there's good food there, and there's actually. If you want to eat, if you want to be a rap, little rapper lifestyle and like be vampire, yes, you do. Or you just have so to be like Bossa Nova doesn't deliver to Malibu. You have to, no. you have to. <laughs> no Bossa Nova. I was about to say uh-huh. no Fat Sal's <laughs> delivers to Malibu. None of that. None of that. Okay. <laughs> Dave's hot chicken. That's too uh, bad. No. Dave's hot chicken is a new thing. When I, I, I've been out of here since Dave's hot chicken got hot mm-hmm. with like people. Mm-hmm. Bossa Nova was the big one, but there was another one that everybody got, got all the time. Rappers got healthy in the end. They started all going to that one place. The um. The vegan place, M Cafe. No, not really. like. There's like three of them. Ones in Larchmont. Ones in uh. Where they ask you the Where they ask you the question when you order? Oh, Cafe Gratitude. I love Cafe Gratitude. Rappers started really getting into that when I was leaving. Really, was leaving. really. Yeah. That's surprising. That's surprising. And once you get Boston over, like once you get Boston over, like seven hundred sessions in a row, you start <laughs> going like, wow. I'm like, I don't feel good. I don't feel good. I ate a French fry <laughs> sandwich for breakfast at five in the morning. Oh. It's weird. I'm not. My stomach's kind of turning over. Well, what do you what do you miss about the East Side, Wes? Um, There's got to be a couple things. There's a good. There was a good Gelson's by our old house. In my 40s, I mean, like I haven't been. I never, actually never even been in the Air One. I don't ever go to grocery shop, and I order the I order the groceries. Mm-hmm. That's pretty normal, right? You order the groceries and they come to your house. You don't have to go to the shop. No, eat. pretty normal. No, yeah, it's it's been normalized now. I mean, for a celebrity person, yeah. and also you're like one of the busiest guys all over. You're traveling. Like I don't, I don't yeah. expect you to be. If I go to the supermarket. I'm kind of like I still like gravitate towards the toy sector. So I'm like so like I haven't been there since I was like <laughs> the last like, time you bought. <laughs> yeah, it was like last time I went to groceries. Like beg my mom for chocolate bars. Yeah, the delivery thing has taken over, especially if you live remote. You there's, know? A, I mean, there's like a movement in in LA. Just, it feels like if you're like a twenty to thirty, like it, there's a lot of energy. I, used, I love energy right mm-hmm. i'm djing a lot i'm always traveling but when i'm in the city like you just go to this place you go to session or this it's the, the accessibility is so good and like you get inspired a lot i think that la does have a lot of inspiration once you're old enough to weed out the like bullshit you know and the, from the good stuff because mm. there's so many creative people in la but i just it's really hard to find them because so much people out in the streets out at events are such freeloaders mm. Right, like there's nobody that has any has acquired any skills in LA. Don't come for me on my own podcast, bro. I'm not gonna fucking. <laughs> you guys obviously know what you're doing. I'm saying, like, I'll give you an example. I go to Nashville and I'm like going to like sessions with like all these amazing guys doing like ten sessions a day. Mm-hmm. They dress like crazy. They're wearing like cowboy boots and fishing shirts and like they know <laughs> the lyrics of Money Bag Yo song. They're just like <laughs> Money Bag Yo. And I'm like going at night. I'm going to like honky tonks. There's guys with dreadlocks that sing fucking country songs. There's like hippies there's girls like every girl like knows how to play the fiddle or like can dance. <laughs> they're really doing and it I'm, like there. everybody i meet is literally a good at something and they have a day job in nashville yeah. mm-hmm. fast forward to like going to like i'm not going to name, name any like <laughs> hwood properties <laughs> but like you know you go to these places and they're actually dope i love those that team but like nobody there has any acquired any skills they're literally there to get free drinks and like talk about themselves like nobody i'm like i got used to like creative people all the time and i wasn't finding Many out in the in the in the, yeah. in the trenches. Well, it turns out the H Wood group at the Delilah, they're not. Yeah, it's like, what do you do, bro? I'm like, my friend uh, makes hoodies, so then, you know, <laughs> that's about it. I mean, I'm I love some of the H Wood guys, and I'll tell you what, in Vegas though, the Delilahs is one of my favorite places in the city. Like Las Vegas Delilahs is like sick. So if you ever come to Las Vegas. It's just that it, they designed it like uh, Indiana Jones Temple. Like, you know, when, he, when he's like in that, that Hong Kong, that cafe or whatever during the World War II. And it's like people are singing like jazz. It's mm-hmm. just like that. Like, it looks like. Okay. 
20 million build out with all this amazing art from like the old school Vegas. It's really, it's really the dopest place in Vegas right now. Okay, shout out to Vegas Delilah. I mean, the LA Delilah is great too. If you want to see some clippers eating dinner with <laughs> some OnlyFans <laughs> thoughts, it's a great place to go. It's not even real clippers, like bench warmer clippers. But. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, I think I've seen you before. You are tall. I'll give you that. It's like, it's like the guys who are like from uh, Serbia and then like dudes that are like, like barely D1 level like guys. When's the last time you did like an interview that you enjoyed? I mean, I'll be honest. I like, I put out an album right now. And I'll be very honest with you guys. It's literally because you guys are because well, I know Jason's a DJ, but it's a collection of like dance singles, right? So I totally am. It's a veil of an album. It's not. I'm not trying to lie to anybody, and it's like a collection, and it's easy to distribute. But like, I'm not. First of all, album isn't even really a like. I don't think the idea of an album is even a a good concept anymore because no one. We don't live in a world where albums are made. We live in a world where like singles are digested in five seconds and fifteen seconds, especially with electronic music. Hundred percent. But even anything hip hop, like single, you know, even like Camila Cabello, whoever it is, has a good single. You don't. You don't go check our album. Mm-mm. You're like you hear on the radio. You like, really don't. I just check out our Instagram. It, you might. You might. You might go see. <laughs> Arcade Fire, there's some bands that are like, that have religious followings and they still cut dope albums. They're so tiny that, that market. So you can't really mm-hmm. do albums anymore. And my plus, mine's a dance one. I literally threw it together with all the songs that I wrote over the last two years that no one's, no one's, I'm not, you're not pitching dance records to people anymore. Like, you're not like, so the days of like Chris Brown and Black Eyed Peas cutting like a dance record <laughs> on the radio is like not here. <laughs> and I'm playing, I'm making these records for like me to make money on the road and like people like to build a, build a, build a club system or whatever like for my my parties make people like feel good in my my shows but mm-hmm. like it's not really an album so i'm like kind of like kind of like negotiate with people like why, why is this album like they're trying to talk about the album cycle i'm like it's not <laughs> I'm kind of, it's kind of fake all these interviews i'm done for like billboard or whatever and then people actually this one girl on billboard was so dope though she like knew everything about like my florida album so she was kind of mm-hmm. like she knew what was going on and like some people very rarely like really know my career path because it's been a really meandering like mess of stuff mm-hmm. i got reviewed on pitchfork for the album which is like actually was one of the best reviews number wise i've ever gotten on pitchfork because okay. they gave me like they give me like 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 lots of threes and fours but uh-huh. and i wrote to them i was like they kind of like call about the album whatever and then they kind of used a press photo from like my country project so it looked really stupid like <laughs> i'm like a cowboy hat i'm like so like they made me they made me like they try to make me look like dumb and i just was like why are you guys even reviewing like you guys are like it's how irrelevant are you anyway but mm-hmm. it was, i was kind of thinking to myself yeah maybe i shouldn't have like it's it's an album. It's out because it's basically a playlist you can play on Spotify. It's a collection of great records. Mm-hmm. Or pop leaning ones are forward, and the back ones are like the Seth Troxler and like the Who Made Who, like the more the deep cuts mm-hmm. that like you have to really love dance music to get into. So for the real heads, it's like kind of like what a playlist is. You have your top songs, and it kind of goes and meanders. If you want to follow someone, you go and you keep on that trail, and it gets weirder and weirder. You know, like you start at two a.m. and then you end up, you know, the people that are there at seven a.m. Starts like a real road that's like pavement, and by the end of it, it's like a dirt road, and then by the end of that, it's like you're just <laughs> jungle, you're <laughs> dirt road. You go past Burning Man, yeah. and then you're just using a machete yeah. to not. It's you. like you're on your own. Then you're on a shaman's journey. It's just the, you're at the trash fence. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, so I've been doing like I've been, I've been doing press with the album, and it's like weird because I'm like, what is. It doesn't really make sense. I mean, I got to do radio promo, which is like kind of like lame too, because I'm like, who's going to play the, but like everybody wants me to do it. I'm like, I'll try it once and then it doesn't work. And I'll try it again. I'm like, <laughs> why am I doing all these like dumb shows for radio people? But whatever, I play the game. Mm-hmm. So I'm being really honest with you guys. That's kind of how it goes. No, I mean, that's, that's kind of what I was feeling because I feel like for you know, like DJ people or producers or anything, like you have a lot to say, but. I don't know. I feel like the press that you end up doing ends up not giving you the outlet to like, you know, just do what you want to do. They just ask you a bunch of dumb questions. All the press wants is like me to say something crazy. And then that's the headline and people go and click on it. And like, yeah, that's the whole like, that's the game. So I'm like, how do I say something crazy? It's like not embarrassing myself, but then to get people to like go check me out and then say like, they hate me, but then listen to the album. And I mean, I like that. I, I'm, I'm glad that at least you're trying to find that crazy thing to say that won't get you that won't oh. get you know, in the scare quotes, I won't get canceled, but I will get people to click on it. And like, yeah, because most people just give up and they're like, oh, I'm just not going to say anything. Yeah, I did this album and it was great. And Miguel's super nice to work with. And you should go check it out on iHeartRadio. Yeah, like, I mean, something I write about, like how the song got made. I'm like, it was just like, I sent him a voice note and he like sang a song and it was like, we did it. And, like, Walk me through your inspiration. It's not like we went to like our ashram in India and like had the candles lit and we like, <laughs> had like the orchestra singing and we took ayahuasca. No, Miguel and I went to Bonnie Vera's house for four months and this is what. <laughs> Came, this is what came out. We lived in a tunnel. We had a no internet, and we just played. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, it's it's good that I mean I like that you're still trying and you're still being yourself and you haven't given up. I think that's good because a lot of people get scared off or 
if they're not scared, they're just like, oh, it's just too much work. It's just easier to be like, yep, it's all good. I love it. Awesome. You don't have to do it. You don't have to do it. It like doesn't matter. The record will do yeah. what the record's going to do. I think, do I think I'm lucky because this is the first record I'm like mad decent to label them. And they've like worked really hard to get to a place where they can actually promote like a major label. Yeah. Because, you know, back in the days when we did Major Laser, the side project I did, there was like we were going with Spotify partnership. We did it independently, like no label or anything. Mm. And back then, the labels were still like fighting with Spotify. But Spotify was starting to pop in Australia and places where they like they were like said their deals done, and we crushed it. Like we used to get. I mean, Lean On was the first. I think one of the first or second song that was a billion streams, mm-hmm. and that's like with no label help. So it's those things are possible with the right energy, the right people. Like we kind of like had an idea of like conceptually how do we market this. But then the labels were like, oh, we can do this and make the money. They own all the masters. They're like, this is so lucrative. So like labels have, you know, they remember when labels were like tanking like eight years ago, we were like, oh, but record industry is done. It's broken. Mm-hmm. Now they're making more money than they ever did. Like since like the seventies, like they're just crushing because yeah. they figured out how to make the monetize on everything. And I mean, at the same time, it really hurt indie, indie labels because there, there's no reason to sign with someone like indie because majors don't do shit, but they'll put you in all the playlists and they'll get you mm-hmm. the right placement and stuff like that. So it's a tough biz, man. And, and, and major labels, it's like literally like, it's like it, they might as well just be like data miners. Cause that's all they do. They look at like, they look yeah, at data and they, and they, and they, and they work on, on artists that way. They don't give a shit about, uh, Oh, this is great. Like, I mean, there was this guy who used to work at Interscope. He did Smashy Pumpkins and he helped be make Aftermath. His name was uh, Mark. Shit, he was an MIA. He signed MIA too, I forget his name. But he was like a real A&R that like loved somebody. He was like in the studio with Smashy Pumpkins and like helped him build a project and like found some like MIAs, like worked her. I really believe so in this artist and I'm going to help them grow. Yeah. Because I have a good feeling about him. That, that job is like completely disappeared. You know, it's like that doesn't exist anymore. It's software. It's like yeah, software. It's literally software. Right? When I talk to people at the labels, they're just like, they're all day long. Like they're hiring. They were looking for more community manager and data people. Like they're not looking for like creative, <laughs> which, is, which is good and bad. It's going to always change. But I mean, that's just the where we are right now. Well, I think it's bad that do you love music is not a requirement to work at a record label like how it used to be. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that I mean, it's, it's fine because you got to make money. But it is also depressing. But they literally p- plug songs into like a machine and it tells you if it's going to work or not. Like yeah. it's, got, it's like insane. Yeah. It's like it's not even fun. It's just it's just like a data entry job. at a certain That's why point. podcasting is a new frontier. Wes, you ever think about getting into it? Yeah. Zane Lowe. Just so you know, you might actually know this, but I had one of the first music podcasts. It was called Mad Decent Worldwide Radio. We did it on Apple when it was like an Apple podcast kind of thing before it was even music. I remember that. And my podcasts were so I, l- I listened back to one that day. I did like three real ones where I was like, it was like, it was documentary style filmmaking. I would go to New Orleans. I would interview Hot Boy Ronald and these bounce legends. And I would go to the parties and play songs after I talked to them a little bit. And it was like 45 minutes of me playing songs, me like narrating, me asking questions to the bounce DJs. And that was like episode one, New Orleans. Then I was like Baltimore Club. I went with Scotty B to the, the, to the Paradox Club. Talked about the ba- birth of it. Talked to K-Swift before she passed away. And like, I did, I did that one and I did one about Cumbia, which I couldn't really talk to anybody because I didn't speak, English, I didn't speak Spanish. <laughs> Argentina, and I did all this shit. I don't know if we had anybody listen to it, but then the rest of them kind of just be mixing world music. After that, I did like a year of that, but I spent a lot of time on that because I had time and I was really interested in that, that discovery side of it. Then I, mm-hmm. then of course, I just moved to production and I just got busy in that, but I, I loved that. I don't know if people would like, be into that anymore but i feel like i could do something that was on that line that's a tv show now that's the thing it's you so know time consu- that, that's literally yeah you're right it's a tv show and yeah i was just gonna say do you wish you still had time to do stuff like that because i know you kind of have a documentary bug in you i think i would i mean I, I keep putting out albums because that's literally the easiest form of like making money and like i actually love it <laughs> I can tour. touring is like instant like do- the distribution of me on a show playing my music is like that's the chain of pe- my music to people I don't have to rely on like label. I don't have to rely on the yeah. radio. Maybe picking it up. I suck their dicks. I don't mind anything. I'm like, this is it. <laughs> and I understand that. Like, I understand how that works. The people will still book you to DJ until the end of time, whether or not you release any new music. You're right. But you, I mean, I've, I've, I've been the one of the luckiest guys that's like been on this like slow climb. Like, and I, and like the minute I'm like on this, like, like, this, you know, <laughs> I'm like, I'm ready to bow out. Like I'm, I'm, I'm ready. And I think with major laser, we, that we had that we peaked. I think we peaked when we did the, um, the Cuba concert, we had just had like lean on, we had lighted up and we kind of put out albums now, but we don't have a, we don't have a message or like a real mm. direction of how to reach people. And I can, I'm like the first to admit that, like that project was so dope. We did 10 years of it and we really like, I saw it hit the peak and then we, we, we do cooler shit now. Like we were like working with, I'm a piano artist and things like, but this isn't stuff that's going to break mainstream like we did 
uh, two albums ago. Right, right. And I'm, you got to really know your, you got to know your wealth, your weight, you know, and like what, what you're good at. And that's like that, that project peak while the Diplo brand or whatever, like it feels like it's just kept growing because mm-hmm. other DJs weren't able to adapt. Like I was like, I love this music. I love the chains. Like, when I was a DJ, man, when I first started DJing with you, even yeah. I was playing like, we were playing, I was like Baltimore club and Bali funk and everything. And then it became like hip hop. And I started producing and it. Like I always changed. I've never been one to stop with one style and stick with it. That's what happened with EDM. These guys were like, they saw workers working. They saw the show, they saw the fees and they just like, like I want to go see, I, I, like I didn't see, but my friend was at Zed concert at Hakkasan or whatever. He was still playing like Booyah by like the beat. He's like these records that are like <laughs> Dutch house records from like 2011. Like the whole set was that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like insane to me because some of the kids don't really know or care, but like there's no progressive idea. Like how do I make new records? How do I play new records? And they might fail, but that's like what a DJ's job's always been. Like, mm-hmm be excited about music and to give music to people and, and, and fail sometimes. Like, you know, I play records all the time. I'm like, this doesn't work. I'll move on. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I have a happy accident. Like I was playing a house party in London. I start, I moved into I'm a piano at a house music and it went fucking crazy. And I was like, damn, let's stick with this. And I moved out of that. It's something I just, you try things and you need some little steps, like little house parties to really experiment. That's when you as a DJ can like, play with things and play with people's like ideas about what they're listening to. Mm-hmm. You're like Dave Chappelle of DJing. You got to drop in to do that 3 a.m. set. I'm just going to smoke cigs and let it rip. 100%. We're just figuring it out. We're going to figure it out. That's why my tour managers always quit and hate me because I will not, I'll like, after the party's over, we'll find a frat party to go to and I'll play <laughs> whatever it is. Like, I always will do that, and that's like at least a sorority party, bro. Come on. <laughs> no, I mean, we, it was like South by Southwest. We ended up going after my show, like an NFT show. We went to like a house party, and like it was so tiny and small. But, like they gave me a little cash. I was just me and like forty like college kids. I'm playing like shit. I just make whatever, I play whatever, you know. And they like loved it. But that's when you like, oh, I play a demo and I play this, I play that. That's like actually why I started DJ in the first place. Yeah, I always we were talking about the idea of business techno on the intro before you popped on, and it's it's very similar to that of like. I I could never understand these DJs like like the Zed situation where you're just playing the same songs that you've been playing for the last ten years, and just because the crowd's fucked up and they dislike it. I can I can under I can understand it when the check clears, but it's not inspiring. <laughs> but I mean, if you're on that level, like where you are at or Zed or all these people, like I would I would go crazy not entertaining. I have to like entertain yeah. myself. I, it has to be fun and exciting for me. Hundred percent. I would I would lose my mind. I think that's like what happened to someone like. Avicii, right? Like he, I think he's mm-hmm. like such a creative mind, and he was always such a creative person that he really got fed up with the whole "I got to go up on stage and pretend I like these old songs and play this and this and that." Because I'm sure he was. Do you remember when he played Ultra and he first started the country stuff? Yeah, he was like booed off stage. Like people were like, "What the fuck is this?" He played like "Wake Me Up" and shit. And I think like that's that was probably his like highest form. Like he was such a creative person, he did that, and like he didn't get the response he wanted. Of course not, because the EDM fans are kind of like. They're mindless. They don't really care. They're mm-hmm. just there for like mm-hmm. the confetti and the lights in their face on drugs. So they're not really thinking like, what's the great? Like they're not like if they want to see bicep play or whatever, they're like heads. Mm-hmm. Like they're like, oh, I want to be fucking fucked up with some synthesizers, but they're there for like the main stage. And I think he probably was like, this sucks. Yep. And of course, those records were like massive after a year. Huge. The guy knows what he was fucking doing. But yeah, like I think Calvin Harris, same way. Like I think he also like probably he doesn't really play in Vegas because I think he's sick of like, why mm-hmm. am I playing? Like feels so close or whatever. I mean, can't speak for him because he. You know, he does whatever he wants, but um, I would never be able to do that. Like, I am sick. I'm already over my album. I'm only playing it for like, like two I'm str- weeks. I'm straight on this. We can- <laughs> I'm like trying to find remixes every song. I'm like, what? And you got to find that balance. But, um, you know, then you get like, you just, you just change things out. Every day I make my set before I play it. Like in Vegas, I spend really three hours to pick a two-hour set. Because like, I just love, I want to be, yeah, because I wanted to like, there's like little sections, like just 15 minutes, like, oh, this works. I'm going to go there and then move on and then. This section, and I don't know if this is too technical for your podcast, like about no, this bro. DJ. Like we talk about fucking EDM but... every fucking episode, and I haven't, I haven't DJed in years. <laughs> Whether I like it or not, we talk about EDM every episode. Let's not talk about EDM. I had like a photographic memory kind of thing, so I would have to make the playlist right before I DJed, or at least the same day. But open format DJs are always the guys who are like the fucking game changers. Like people like like Vice or DJ Fashion, these guys who are like making that changing constantly for whatever place they're at in these markets like Arizona and markets like Palm Springs, like they're like taking the chances and playing new records and breaking records mm-hmm. before the main stage guys are. They're fast. They're doing like seven shows a night and there might be like an all urban club, might be like an all deep house club. They're able to like adapt and that's where I came from. That's what I did in Philly at the beginning. I, ha- I had to do that. I had to play like the all white club and like the art gallery area the next day and then play the Palmer the next day and like you had to like be mm-hmm. able to do everything and that's 
what the real dudes did, like the wizard, like that DJ, like if you, if you know who that is, like the guy from Detroit that had the radio shows and of course, Bambada, these guys were like cutting the most insane shit in the middle of clubs. And that changed the way music ever existed. Like from then on, like what they did gave forth what hip hop culture is. Like I tell people the story. I used to write for Fader magazine back when I was like still like, like early in my career. When you were a young bull? I was a young boy. And I did an interview for um, with Florian from Kraftwerk on their release of their live album that came out in like 2004 or something like that. And I just talked to Florian. We talked about the bullshit about like his live album and everything. It was like the first real Kraftwerk album in a long time. And I was like, can you tell me about like your relationship with Malcolm McLaren? And like, he was like, yeah. So Malcolm was like this guy that loved Kraftwerk, like loved what we did. And like he was into the, because Kraftwerk started as like a kraut rock band. They were like live. They migrated to synthesizers and they started doing this crazy shit at the time. Like, you, of course, you know, Trans World, Tra- Trans Europe Express, but they had a record called Metal on Metal that was before that. And that record was like four minute long. Just had that one rhythm and then like some synthesizers. And Florian said, yeah, so I was in New York for some promo and Michael McLaren said, come with me to this place. And they took him to like South Bronx. And it was the two white guys in the club. He brought them to like the, the party that Bambada was playing. And he's like in the club and like they hear metal on metal playing. And he's like, oh, this is so weird. Like all black people dancing to this fucking synthesizer, like dark song. I've never even seen a black person. <laughs> yeah. He's like, honestly, give me, hear me out. And then he's like, after seven minutes, I was like, wow, this song's only four minutes long. What's going on? And he said it went on for 15 minutes because Ben Bada was like putting it backwards and cutting like the best parts mm-hmm. and like making it go something crazy. And he was like, right then he like learned like about what the hip hop, because that, that was doing, you know, sampling without any instruments they were just literally yeah, like just two records yeah two records going on and like making something new out of like that old you know a, a totally different style for a whole different demographic that then digests the song and makes something other creative mm-hmm. genre and i think it moves also to detroit and that's when you have like the advent of techno because those guys were like obsessed with mm-hmm. some of that german music and then back to germany like you know in the 90s and became like really dark german white techno but then but the way that music meanders <laughs> was always like fascinating to me and that was the job of the dj originally it got they got lazy and became like he became a superstar and he had press photos and they're all like the same photo like you're this with your head on your head or whatever and then it became like a, a pretty stale genre but we were the ones that like were the fucking pioneers of all of this shit mm-hmm. so i always respected that when you say we you mean you and i mm-hmm. strictly me and you in bambata <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah them jeans diplo bambata yeah. africa bambata as well he, he he did a lot of stuff premiere guys who like mix mix house and hip-hop or like um mm-hmm. and the producers also like you gotta give up to like pharrell and timberland those guys like really fucking came to hip-hop production from the craziest world music mind state ever and like really changed the way we think about music and missy being the catalyst for like oh she could translate this weird shit this weird indian sitar japanese intro to like mm-hmm. mainstream crowd like that was like the she point. also speaks martian and just speak a different well. language like i mean she was like the one that made it all make sense because she was like hitting the top tens with like bizarre ideas you know avant-garde yeah, very avant-garde speaking of vegas do day parties pay less than night parties no i think day parties pay the most <laughs> they pay more really? than night parties because day parties you have like unlimited cabanas you can sell out <laughs> <laughs> unlimited what do you mean unlimited well you have like if i play ebc you have like cabanas like all around like you only have so many tables excess only has so many tables and the, you can hit the cabanas later but like you definitely because you can sell out and then the, it's so busy like we had jack you one year after edc weekend it was like a monday night we had like everything sold out all the cabanas sold out and we got the fee for like a monday so we got really <laughs> we got really fucked in the deal but <laughs> you can, but you you can do all of it but ebc i think the beach the, the beach clubs are kind of like the staple they've always been a thing in in, in vegas it's like mm. the big thing so you go there people spend more time there too when you go to like see the nightclub you only oh, you only do two hours kind of like right. you somewhere else. so so if jason and i if jason and i get a cabana we're there all day well the cabanas are pretty fire because you have like a private room yeah you have tv so you can literally watch sports and like get food I mean, people go there and watch during like when it's football happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When it's football happening or about you like you just you have the TV on. At, it's like actually all your homies. You got like 10 people in there. It's pretty fun. You know, get the Georgia Tech game up on the 42 inch Vizio. Yeah. And then if you want, you go down to the main dance floor and you like uh, rave or whatever. But then so so just because day parties can make more money because there's more cabanas, more bottle service. They can pay. They can pay you more money as well. That's nice. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'm I'm very interested in your relationship with Vegas because it's such a 
twisted place. Well, it is twisted. Yeah, how do you how do you make Vegas palatable? Like mentally, how can you handle it? Because you've ha- you've had to make it your own. You'd have to ha- you've had to hack it. I've been I've been a resident of the Win for over. Maybe over over eight years for sure. Maybe nine. What do you mean a resident? Like you have an apartment there? I've had a contract with them for that many years. I keep moving it. Like I keep. <laughs> no, Jason, resident, resident DJ. DJ. You know that. Okay. Terms. I wasn't. I mean, yeah, I figured on, if you bro. have a, a residency for eight years. No, I mean, I live in I live in Las Vegas, like mostly. Like this, the Malibu house I have here <laughs> studio, but I actually have a house in Las Vegas that I do live in. I bet you do. I, I do, bet you I'm going do. There, right Chief. after this top podcast, I'm going straight there. So I have, a, I have a flight to go there, and I'm going to go back to my so house. So you're going to your Vegas flat right after this. Okay. Anyway, listen yeah. to me about this. Mm-hmm. I have eight years there. <laughs> the first gig that they gave me at um, XS was the Monday nights because I, they had Wolfgang Gardner, uh-huh. they had Aoki, they had Ca- uh, Cascade. I was like a really like brand new guy like 10 years ago. Like I was like kind of the guy I was playing. Honestly, I was the guy I was playing hip-hop. I had Express Yourself out at the time. This like bounce record. I had, I was the guy that was like not playing the mainstream peak hour shit. And they were like, mm-hmm. but my agent got me in there because he must have booked somebody else. And they like, they added me. <laughs> I did the Monday nights. The Monday nights were called the industry night. It was called Maddie some Mondays. Mm-hmm. I did like a year and a half of that. And it started to get really busy. Like it was like getting like as busy as a Saturday night. They didn't make much money because it was free if you're like local to Vegas. And of course, it was like the strippers and the waitresses mm-hmm. that worked in the weekends. They spent their money to party on a Monday. And I, they knew I was like kind of like more interesting music. They hear the same shit every night. Mm-hmm. So it became like this crazy night for like girls because like all the strippers and waitresses would come out and they would get so fucking drunk and like going crazier than everybody else. They were the hottest people in Vegas mm-hmm. and um, the busters. And they, you don't understand that even the bus boys are making like maybe five grand a weekend. What? Bus boys. Are they stealing or no? There's because you get like all the tips are like, like liquidated. Oh, down oh, there, right? oh, got it. Wow. Okay. And busters get is I get a, like a certain percentage. I'm not another right. demographic. Someone's going to correct me and they hear this or whatever, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but busters make money too. And everybody in the club makes money. Like, you know, I make a headliner will make the most and then everybody else makes money. The promoters make money. Mm-hmm. You don't make that much money on the week, the, the Mondays though. So I was having this cheap gig and then finally that started to sneak me in on a Saturday and I was doing my best to like negotiate my, my style with like mainstream. Mm-hmm. And that's always like what you do as a DJ. You got to like find the negotiation. Like how far can I be myself and how much can I do to make people stay and keep this crowd happy? And that was like the finesse you have to do. And over time you do it like fast forward eight years later, I've done every kind of party there. And now I'm playing like almost two and a half hours of like straight up house music because some of mine, mm-hmm. some really deep techno like leaning records, some vocals. Yeah, I saw it when I was there a few months ago. You were playing a lot of deep. I shit. feel like I don't really, I don't really pander pander anybody. I play hip hop sometimes if I if I feel like it, but it's really I'm still like stuck on like older hip hop. I don't really feel like there's a lot of big hooks. I agree with that. Two thousand. That's a problem that we talk about a lot on this podcast. There's no songs. Yeah. It's just vibes. I wish it was. I mean, I'm thinking like I love. I produce some of these guys like Zan XXX Trippy Red. They don't deliver with big hooks that people can sing to. Mm-hmm. Like Playboy Cardi, God love him. If you're under 24 <laughs> years old, he is the god. Like he's like I, I can't, can't understand it. I don't. I don't get it. He's their burial. <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm I'm there in association because I'm a DJ. So I play. I like know some records. I don't get the energy, and it doesn't work in a big room at all. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mm-hmm. work in a big room. Even if I play Baby Keem or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just so yeah. slow and so. It's just made for like bros to mosh to and that's like vegas you want girls to dance yeah the last real movement was like was like sheck west mo bamba like that was like the last kind of like hook that was played and i'm great song i'm a little embarrassed when i play it still you should uh but i bring it back sometimes i should but then i still play like no hands by waka flocka and freaking there you go um roscoe dash roscoe dash was the guy who had like every he had like <laughs> 10 records in a row with like hook after hook after hook he's still playing you don't even realize it i love the way that booty go what a great line. Those are fun records. And a little bit of YG. You know, he's got some big yeah. hooks for the club as well. But I wonder how much of that is, is it really true that there aren't these big songs, big club hooks? Or is it that we're just old heads? I've been an old head. I'm 43. So I've been an old head for like, since I was, since, the, since we're 30. So I think I've been through all the eras <laughs> where like, I don't get this and I do I get mean, it. I think everybody likes their era the most, you know, whatever they can, whatever they consider yeah. the best time in their life when they were out every night. Yeah. And if, you know, like, yeah, for me, that's like some Drake songs that had big choruses, yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's why, that's why golden era hip hop still like goes number one. Nostrop's album is number one. Tropical Quest had their first number one album because the, the golden era of like us as teenagers, we loved tribe so much we supported them when they came out on that new album what like 
four years ago. Mm-hmm. Those golden era guys, they still, I think Jadakiss had like a number one, mm-hmm. like a couple, like a year ago. Even He wasn't even that big when he was at his peak, but people support mm-hmm. them because like that's the classic rock of our generation. Jadakiss is my Fleetwood Mac rumor. Wu-Tang, Wu-Tang is my 100%, like my creed is Clearwater. Like, I like. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. All right, guys. Calm down. Let's uh, <laughs> support them forever. And of course, but of course, as a DJ, like I also like grew up into house music and it's like, it's something you get into maybe when you're older. And you understand it more. So like now I like Lil Louis French Kiss is like a, is like a classic to me. Mm-hmm. Like when I hear that record, I play that record still out and I play some of these old like Dennis Farrar. Hey, hey, is like probably one of my top five songs of all time. And it still works for any generation. So there are mm-hmm. some longstanding classics and you mix those with some new ones. And then um, you learn more every day. Like even with like the new album, I have like records like with Seth Troxler that I like Desire because I used to work with uh, Italians Do It Better. Yeah. You know that I used to work with those guys and I was like. I, I knew I knew Johnny um, Johnny Jewel and his and his girl. I love Desire, great record. Couple of those. So I had put Desire, and I was like, I told Seth, I like, I, I my kids go to school with Desire's kids, so like we can get her on the record. That was like literally my connect, and Seth's like, oh, that's so sick. I love that idea, and he made the baseline, and it became something that was never would never happen in my career. But then because I had this connection with Italians Do It Better, they used to play my Madison Mausoleum back in the day. Mm-hmm. To knowing them as adults, to knowing Seth now as a DJ, that you know I didn't know him that well till, till like like four years ago. To making all of it made sense like it's just all those pieces in my hat past come together sometimes you know mm-hmm. like even when i did the justin bieber record like i it, the link was like i used to work with khalees and that was scooter Braun's artist oh yeah that's how i knew scooter and then when justin oh, came I, didn't out, know, I didn't know scooter Braun managed khalees back that was his first act and then when he started managing bieber he was working i was working with usher and i met bieber through usher mm. and then from then on scooter just like knew i was like part of the squad so when they gave us when bieber was like in a little bit of a a lull we get we got um where are you now and i was like I convinced Skrillex like, yo, let's fucking make this. Makes no sense, but let's do this record. And that all those things from my past came together to like make something from the future. It's like you kind of like gotta always utilize all the things that created you. You know, like your whole like we've been in this game so long. All the arrows in your quiver. Don't be afraid to use them. Yeah, you gotta just gotta use it. And also just be fucking the people you work with. Like you know, Miguel. This is my first record I did with him, but we've been working together. It's been like ten years since I was in the studio with him and, and Red One and like And you never had one that went until this record? We wrote I wrote the record for Arl Grime called um that was like on the uh, on his Oh album, yeah yeah like three years four years ago and then we did some writing for other people together but never his sub and we're just homies and i was like damn this is miguel nice guy isn't he nice, so nice, guy so in town. nice and so like i look i've always said about miguel he's the nicest guy who's gonna fuck your chick and it's, a, it's, the, it's 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 incredible <laughs> it's incredible <laughs> it's incredible it's incredible i've never seen i've never seen anything like it where i'm like this guy is is really great at talking to me and the whole time he's just thinking like i'm gonna i'm if i want to if i want to i can i can smash your chick that's the vibe and i i appreciated it i really enjoyed the whole experience he's a real one and he takes his time to like build the relationship you have with him and he takes time for everybody i feel like that's something you lose with a lot of young artists even like someone like aesop rocky being with him in china when he was like really big i mean sorry wasn't wasn't really big yet he was doing alexander wayne party we were together like 12 years ago i just remember him saying thank you to everybody on staff with alexander wayne like at the end of the show, <laughs> I was like insane, being so polite. Just think, like it was like crazy, like that era. Very gracious. It's so many, so much humble people that I met that you wouldn't expect. I'm sure Rocky is just the same right now as well. He's probably just <laughs> yeah. the same now. No, I think he, I think he is. I think I think he has a lot of like. I think he has a lot more like. Uh-huh. Yeah, you can't yeah. really reach him. You know, like you have, you have, like if you do, I I still see him and he's like, all right, what up? Or Ferg, same way. I was just sitting next to him at a at a fashion show in Paris. He's like, remember that. We did that Festival Express tour. I made new level on the train with you. And you know, it was like crazy. My first time seeing these concerts. Mm. Just remembering the moments and like remembering, you know, who they are. I think there's there's like some of those guys, you wouldn't expect it, but they're fucking so humble and gracious, mm. like you said, Jason. <laughs> some people aren't yeah. though. Some of the new guys aren't. You're right. <laughs> oh, of course. Jason's really, really gracious and humble. That's that's part of the reason that that I'm so it's that true. We still work together. Why, that we work joke. together. It's not a joke. That we work together. Yeah, why are you laughing, bro? It's not it's not mm. funny. Chris is into doing, I'm into being, if that makes sense. <laughs> now that you're in Malibu, have you ever gone on any spiritual journeys? You licking any frogs? You doing ketamine therapy? Anything cool like that? I didn't lick any frogs yet, but um, <laughs> Yeah, I smoked them. <laughs> okay, I'll never do it again. I did it. I did it once or twice, but I'll never do it again because the experience was so hardcore that, like, I know what it was. What it was for. Like, I kind of like got mm-hmm. what you. Yeah, yeah. We're here to do this, and you did this, and now it's all good. Yeah, it was so strong to where I have like flashbacks to it. Sometimes I've done ayahuasca and I've done other things, but that was like the one thing that was like, wow, you really. Find like the the like borders of like your power of your brain. I guess does that make sense? Like you, you like how you're talking about. You got the the street, the dirt road. And then you're in <laughs> exactly. the, you're, you're in the wilderness. <laughs> that one. And, that, and you're so far in the wilderness. 
you find a hole and you're in outer space at that point. And it's like, mm-hmm. it just, you don't really realize like how powerful your body is. Cause you kind of like when they say you experience death, I think it's because you experience the capability of dying, which you never really realize. So of course you're close to it. And then you're like, damn, there's like, mm-hmm. a, there's like infinity and nothingness. It's hard to explain. Many people have, have been trying to explain it for your centuries. I don't think we're going to get there today. You got to do it. I think just try it. And I think it's not for everybody, but ayahuasca is a much simpler version. When I die ayahuasca, like that's so crazy. Like we did this, I was like in this, deep trip and then the toad was like a hundred times <laughs> <laughs> so so ayahuasca is a pretty scary thing to most people yeah. and you're like ayahuasca is like oh That's this is so work. crazy it's funny i feel one and then yeah the frog shit yeah but it but it lasts like a half an hour and then, then no, it's like or, it's like 10 minutes the frog minutes, ayahuasca is like yeah. five hour if you, where you throw how much throwing up did we do on the toad none but the but i have a video of me on it and it looks i look like a toad <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, my eyes are wide open. Like someone recorded it, and um, I have the only copy. Thank God. Let's hope you have the only copy. It got out. Oof. This is this looks. This is people would not think of you the same. It's so crazy. You're like, hey man, I've known you for a long time, but like, I, uh, but when I saw you toted out, I was like, I don't know. Bro, you went full toad. You went full toad. I had to mute your uh, Instagram after that. You do poop a little bit on yourself in ayahuasca. I did a little pooping and peeing on myself, I guess. Okay. <laughs> well, as a as a father, you know how that. You know, it's nothing. It's you know how yeah, it goes. Yeah. I'm glad in the eleventh hour we got that pull quote from this entire hour long interview. Diplo yeah. shits himself on drugs. Yeah. He makes a big mess, poo poo and pee pee. <laughs> both, both. Chris wanted to know when, uh, when you see like a video or a photo of you in the club, you know, you and Troxler, whoever else it might be, all of, you know, the 17 guys wearing very long shirts. <laughs> why are there so many CDJs? Oh. Why do you need so how many, many CDJs? How many can one man you, like how many? They can't all be running at the same time. Well, well, a quick answer is that sometimes you do have a, one CDJ is yours, one CDJ, what, like one set of four is yours, and one set of four is the other guy. So you you move it in. You just so we got it. eight. We got eight CDJs for each. Yeah, but that's if you're headlining a festival and they switch the line over to that other guy. Oh, I Ooh, see. Okay, so that's like it looks like that sometimes, and they're switching okay. over. How often are you playing four songs at once? What <laughs> I, I found myself I found myself doing three a lot. Okay, okay. Because I'm doing like I'm playing I'm playing like I'm playing like the loop of Deep Inside on on key. On a drum beat at the end, and then I'm mixing that song. That one's a little choppy. So I'm like doing that, and it's like I've done that. That's like every set I'm probably playing like three records at once, like three or four times in a set, mostly. Okay, it's because okay. acapella loop is happening. You don't really drink when you DJ anymore, right? Not really, but I mean, I started drinking again like during COVID, but uh, out of strictly boredom, I'm trying to get out of that that bad habit. Yeah, but I drink at dinner. A little bit of wine, a little natty wine. A little bit of wine. I'm a white guy from Florida. I have a little margarita addiction mm. sometimes. Oh, mm. uh, see that? I can't wait until you're 60. You got a little gut on you, and that margarita, <laughs> that 11 a.m. margarita comes out over in Malibu. You got a chair that's halfway in the water. Any, you know, I kind of over the margarita. That was a big deal for COVID. I got, I, did, I must have drank a hundred margaritas like in a weekend. When do you? Like, when do you? Like a, how much? How much property do you have in Florida? I've, I've like a, some land in Florida. My uncle, uh, I bought from him before he passed away that's like really beautiful like 20 acres on this river that my dad's always there it's not really there anything there but it's kind of like just for, for the family i bought it for my you're gonna you're gonna end up there i have a feeling that you could end up there just drink margaritas by the river mm. yeah i think that's maybe your final form that is kind of what i'm looking forward to like that dropping the country songs and sitting there and fishing out the off my dock that's like life yeah once you have a dock things are different that's when you've really that's that's success fuck this fuck eight cdjs the dock is when you know you've made it yeah i got eight docks bitch <laughs> dock now bitch <laughs> all right Wes. well thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us we had a blast and we appreciate you coming on the new album which is not an album just a collection of singles is out now <laughs> it's self-titled just called diplo right find it on spotify yeah it's not hard to find it's the bees there if you look at my name. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's not it's not hard to find he's it'll a, be there he's a streamer uh yeah man thanks for joining us it was a pleasure all right guys love you all right we'll see you soon Bye. love you
Yeah.